Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. Welcome to another episode of the How We Solve podcast. Today, we're talking to David Newell. David is a internet entrepreneur and has a passion for self-discovery and personal growth. So we're kindred spirits. I messed this up before, but we're going to leave it now. He is a partner at Quiet Lab Brokerage, and we will nerd out on SaaS valuations today. So very excited to have you on the show, David. Pleasure to be here. You want to give us a quick elevator pitch on what QLB does and what makes makes you different? Yeah, I think so quite like brokerage, we are a advisor in the mid-market. We help essentially people with SaaS, e-commerce and content businesses between about 500,000 at the bottom to sort of 30 million at the top. Find, prepare their businesses for exit, find a buyer, negotiate and close out the sale for them. And I think, you know, the big things that differentiate us is that every single person inside of Quiet Light is an entrepreneur. We've all bought, built and sold and sometimes all three our own businesses. In fact, many of the advisors and partners inside of Quiet Light are past uh, owners of businesses that sold through Quiet Light, enjoyed the experience and wanted to stay on and do it. So we kind of all work inside of a part time s capacity but it's nice in a way because we get to help other people go through the journey that we did and get to wear both the entrepreneurial hat and the advisor hat and say i think that's what people really like about us because they feel that we've done the same thing as well so we know from experience what i also love about you i've referred you a few friends over that sold businesses through you that you really care about the entrepreneur i guess because you you were, were in their shoes and a few friends of mine were you, you turned them away said because you gave them the advice like hey you know you could keep the business for a while and grow it and it's going to become bigger versus just like sell 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 you know like used car used car salesman approach yeah yeah well, we're not under any pressure to hit targets and nobody's like dying for money you know so we just when you have that you can actually give people like really good quality advice because you don't have to feel like you have to pressure to do anything and so most of the time to be honest with you the default response is you need to go away for six to 12 months in order and do xyz and your business will be worth more money if you do that and so yeah we, we turn people away initially more than we say yes yeah, but I think it's 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 a long game. I think this will like actually make you way more successful in the long run because people refer you, people trust you, and money is a side effect of providing value to people, and this way you really provide value to people. For sure. And it's been like that for 10 plus years now, and we keep getting bigger, so it's certainly working. Cool. So in terms of solving the question of SaaS valuations, because a lot of people ask themselves, a lot of founders ask themselves like, hey, you know, should I exit now? What can I expect in terms of how much money I will make from this? And there are lots of levers and it's not that easy to figure it out. So and since you do this a lot, let's figure it out. Yeah, the big thing I would say to settle early on, because SaaS is one of the most complex ones in terms of valuation, because it straddles two valuation models. Most businesses are just valued as a multiple of earnings to traditionally, if you look in like e-com or content or other like digital business models, SaaS bridges both earnings-based multiple and revenue-based multiple. And so that's why at conferences, you can get people who be like, oh, my business is worth six times revenue. And it's like, well, I thought my business is worth four times earnings and nobody knows <laughs> really what to make sense of that. The muddy water is kind of cleared mostly around size. So if you're talking around, if you're a business kind of sub a million dollars in ARR, 
you're probably more towards the earnings level. And if you're above a million in ARR, you're typically heading for a revenue-based multiple. That's kind of like a broad brush. There's a few other variables around that. Typically, you know, on the larger size, churn is starting to come down. So for revenue-based multiple businesses, you typically see monthly churn at kind of 4% and lower. For smaller apps, you expect to see churn slightly higher. And that's because they simply haven't had the capital and the time yet to kind of solve the hardest question in the business. And so that you you hit the nail on the head. It's like, how refined are you really justifies like where you're heading towards in terms of earnings or revenue, I guess, like immature or like smaller SaaS businesses aren't yet refined. So they're earnings based, they're still higher risk. And then the swap over to revenue comes with that refinement. It's actually an interesting thing. It's like when we sold the business to uh, Maxidian to Stackpath, the level of sophistication and cleansiness they have set up the business was like really unbelievable. You know, it's like kind of all the stuff that we kind of like scramble together towards the end when we're in the sales process, they kind of set everything up like perfectly from the start. You know, every aspect, every department, everything was just like super, super clean because I guess you know, the founder sold his last business to IBM for $2.4 billion. You know, so, and if you play at this level, it kind of like you groom it from the start, you know, so it's less headache. Yeah. So you do tend to see things get dialed in, obviously, increasingly further as you go through this. And this is a worthy distinction to point out because the valuation fundamentals are quite similar between earnings multiple based businesses and revenue based ones in in the sense that, you know, growth is important, revenue based metrics and customer based metrics are all important, you know, none none of that really changes. But the benchmark for when from where you work down from is different for each. So what I mean by that is if you're in the revenue-based multiple arena, you tend to start using like a public company multiple in SaaS, and then you work downward from that benchmark or that sort of cornerstone, you typically applying a discount to make it a private company discount, usually about 30% or so. And then you start the adjustment based on company fundamentals. So things like how fast is the business growing? Like how does it compare versus competitors within the space? What's going on with churn, customer metrics, acquisition, you know, all of those classic things. Whereas in the earnings-based multiple, you don't have like kind of a reliable company Date, like public company data set like that, you pull upon private company sales. And that's where, for example, at Quiet Light, where you have several hundred past exits, you use that private company data to benchmark from. But again, you use the same metrics, like where is churn comparably, where is revenue growth comparably, where's profit margins comparably, but against this different group set. So when, when you look at these uh, companies in the market, you kind of look at their... The industry where they're in and see like kind of what you know based on the industry you're in this should be like that's irrelevant yeah so to begin with you take like quite a wide basket of comps you might even just take like the full kind of SaaS basket on on the nasdaq and just look at what the median like forward revenue multiple is for these businesses and then to your point david you'd be like well that's appropriate as a general market macro number but then how's the industry trading like security for example versus this And so that at least gives you a sense of kind of like, is it at a premium or a decrease to the market? And then the big thing really is to is to start with that private company discount. And so that's an interesting one. If you look at like 
private equity companies that buy portfolios of SaaS businesses. Um, there's a very interesting one called SaaS Capital that have bought about 30 or so, and they publish quite a bit in terms of how they benchmark their values for each of their portfolio businesses. And what they have shown over the years is that they will typically apply about a 30% discount to the public market immediately, just as a public to private discount. And so that's basically saying like, these public companies are worth more for a couple of reasons. One is they're audited to way higher standards, their transparency and disclosure, to your point, their refinement is incredibly high, as probably as high as it's going to get. And then secondly, they're at incredibly high scale and still growing, and it's much harder to grow a billion dollar business at 30% year over year than it is a 3 million ARR business. And so there's a big premium for scale and growth. So you have to apply a discount. I typically like lend onto that 30% as well. So if you said like, you know, the median forward revenue multiple right now in the whole of public company SaaS is say 10x, just just for the sake of argument, um, you'd immediately haircut to 30% to get you to 7x. And so now you have at least an approximation of what a pri- a large private SaaS business should on average be trading for. You know, you know if there's a database where you can kind of look into like, yes. hey, I'm in this, in this space. A, yeah, you know, there's a so. couple of really good ones. The best one is by Bessemer Venture capital partners it's again it's another private equity company and they keep a daily and a weekly basket of indices sorry of SaaS businesses is it publicly available yep it is yeah you can go on it right now and just check it out Bessemer Venture Partners and that's really good it will keep it it essentially just keeps you completely up to date with which uh, industry you want to be in or which which kind of add-on you want to add to your your I'm still, I'm still yet to meet anyone, a SaaS entrepreneur that looked at multiples before they started their businesses, but it's certainly worthwhile doing. Maybe you could also pivot, you know, for example, um, with, with Stackpath, they did like, they, they bought a bunch of businesses and ours was a CDN and then they t- added on some security companies. So this, but a boom, the whole thing turned into a security company, which has a higher multiple, but still our revenue is coming in lower in terms of evaluation, you know, so... Yeah, I think you can get away with that to a certain degree in the sense that as you get into that kind of modeling, you'll tend to apply certain revenue streams at higher multiples rather than the whole group. But obviously, the more revenue stream you're pulling in from higher value industries, the more the group multiple should go up as a blended result. So then you have your kind of private benchmark and there's a lot, a lot, a lot of correcting variables that go into this, but I was just going to pick out probably like four or five that you can really look at for your own business and establish. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Like what can you optimize yeah, before yeah, so, you know, this, this process starts? So well, if, just to help people kind of get a real sense of how to think, one of the biggest things by far for larger company SaaS businesses as, as one of the biggest variables of the valuation equation is revenue growth. Without doubt, that's one of the most important factors. And I think everybody knows that, you know, if you plot a chart of every SaaS business and its growth rate versus its multiple, it's you couldn't get a tighter correlation to that factor than anything else. And so then the question becomes immediately, like how fast are you growing year over year in terms of your revenue growth? What's that look like for the last two or three years? And what do you expect it to look like for the next two years or so? And what does that look like versus businesses of your relative size? 
because theoretically you will grow at a slower rate as you scale up. So the smaller you are on average, the faster you're expected to grow. And secondly, as you were saying, David, before we start recording, what does that look like in your specific vertical? Because if you're in a slow moving vertical, you know, then extremely high growth could look very compelling as a kind of disruptive player within that space and so that then immediately gets you thinking about what's your competitive positioning you know if you're growing much faster what kind of player are you in that space what's your edge but just to go back to the revenue growth that's the really important piece and so on average if you were to take let's say a five or ten million ARR SaaS business agnostic of industry like the expectation would be that it should be growing about 50 percent year over year to achieve kind of a median or an average multiple like that if you take, again, SaaS Capital have some great data on this. If you take average growth rates for different size businesses, smaller businesses are about 50% year over year, and it slowly trails down to 40 to 30% at the kind of 100 and 500 million in ARR level. So figure out what size you are, figure out what the average growth rate is for your size of your business and benchmark yourself from that. And then also look in the industry and see what's the growth rate there. And so immediately it's almost as simple as saying if i'm kind of 10 percentage points above the peer group in my space and my size group then i'm probably going to be trading at 10 percent premium already to that uh, average multiple so that's one piece and then of course revenue growth is very nice but you have to look at the quality of that revenue growth and you know there are many many ways in which to think about that obviously in SaaS land probably the most primal metric for that is churn because that really speaks towards every aspect of the business your stickiness and customer success and so forth and it's probably the hardest problem to solve for in any business and thus it's the most valuable most valuable one when it comes to buying it right that's already been dialed in and refined and so then it's again a question of there's an expectation that well churn is slightly more complicated in a few ways because It should fall technically with scale because of that refinement. It's also impacted by what kind of customer segment you're facing. So for example, enterprise, you'd expect to have extremely low churn, small to middle-sized business, slightly higher, and more kind of very small business or consumer, much higher. So then you have to think about that as a function. And then of course, there's how the business kind of operates within those specific ranges. And so if you look at enterprise, it should be zero to 1% monthly revenue churn, SMB, probably more like two to 4% and B to C stroke B to very small B kind of like five to 8%. So like a great example would be, we often sell a lot of SaaS apps that are Amazon tools, you know, things like profit and loss calculators or all these things that help FBA sellers on Amazon, right? And so ostensibly they're kind of B2B, but they're really kind of B2C because the people behind them are still small consumer types. And there's a lot of turnover on Amazon right away in the sense that if if you don't make it within the first three to six months, a lot of people give, give up. up yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, probably parked with 50,000 of inventory of hair dryers or something that they <laughs> need to figure out how to sell. And so clearly the benchmark for what's good level, what's a good level of churn on an Amazon app is very different to a Mac CDN, for example. 
And so that's really important if you can get kind of metrics for level of churn in your specific space. I, generally speaking, by vertical, by industry, it's really hard to find, like super, super hard to find. It's much easier to find by customer segment. And Thomas Tungas, the, uh, who works at Redpoint Venture, he's written about this quite a bit, so you can research. Uh, he's put some sort of churn bands out there based on customer size that's quite useful to benchmark yourself is on. there is there like a reasonably well working SaaS valuation calculator out there <laughs> there is actually it's architected off a lot of the work that SaaS capital have put out so if you research SaaS capital there's a good article they wrote a few years ago called how, how much is my SaaS business worth or how to value my SaaS business and it shows you how to follow kind of a six or seven step process and someone built a essentially a spreadsheet yeah like a spreadsheet based off of their thing where you can put all of this in um we can share the links up for everyone and um yeah, this, this would be awesome actually yeah it's be, it's yeah. in in i mean that's essentially what i'm talking through now in five to six steps like macro steps you can get within probably i would say within 20 percent confidence in like range of your value and this actually gets us into a finer point of SaaS value this methodology we're talking about and what SaaS Capital have written about and what this model can work for really helps you understand what I would say is kind of a classic financial evaluation of your SaaS business. And it's what a lot of people that you know work in private equity companies would pay. And it's kind of a very traditional financial way of looking at the business. If you imagine someone coming in that doesn't necessarily have any complementary assets or any synergies to speak of, it's like a standalone value for your business. So it gets you to a useful kind of what okay floor price floor price for your business that you know you could exit for out into the financial landscape, which is by and large still the largest exit route for most people. It's about still like eighty to ninety percent of exits go there, so it's a useful number to know. But of course, in every single deal, as you probably found out with MaxiDN, there is a strategic option available. The question is. Is that person out there? Is it the right place? Is it the right time? Do they have the right appetite to do it? The strategic imperative and do they have the cash to do it? And so when you can find that and those stars align, then you can deviate pretty far off the multiple from this model because those guys are going to be looking at the business through a very different lens. They'll use the kind of financial model that we're talking about here, but they'll also be clearly thinking about revenue synergies and cost synergies yeah, and all sorts. And so how much sense does it make to dream up the ideal buyer of your business and kind of model your business towards that? That's a great question. I think <laughs> I think I would pluralize the answer and say dream up the ideal buyers for your business and design your business to be attractive to any of them because or, yeah, or like industry or whatever yeah like you can yeah down. yeah but i think you see that anyway happen by natural horizon because what happens is generally the businesses that sell for the greatest multiples that you know you hear about in the news and they're really really compelling it's because they've gone and solved the hardest problem in that vertical that most of the other incumbents haven't so in a way they've satisfied that question that you're saying whether they did that consciously or unconsciously as a disruptive influence that's essentially what they ultimately end up getting paid for and acquired for but yeah i think absolutely that is a very 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 good strategy to go for if you want like a high value exit cool so to to recap first we establish the size is it you know is it revenue or um multiple 
based earning. Then based on the industry, we can get some insights on like, you know, how, how much multiple do I get in my industry? Then we establish the earnings, right? The, the the re- revenue, we're just doing that. Yeah. And we look at revenue, revenue growth rates. And then, you know, the multiples are also influenced by revenue growth, churn, age of business. And also if, the, I guess if the owner is involved or not. Yeah. So that's more on the, uh, on the earnings side. Yeah. And so sticking up on, cause generally the revenue side of things, you're at a scale where the owner's pretty like involved with the business. The next big things really to think about from here are twofold. One is kind of what's your revenue mix and kind of gross margin. So a lot of businesses, a lot of SaaS businesses can be a mixture, right, of pure service-based revenue and then also productized services in a junk or a compl- around that and then also it could be kind of like one-time onboarding type revenue or maintenance type revenue or any of those kind of things and so or lifetime deals or something like this that people sell exactly so generally speaking the most valuable revenue source is traditional service-based monthly recurring revenue or if it's enterprise and annual, how much how much does it vary let's say I did like quite a, a lot yeah quite a lot so there's a big I think you could easily apply a 30% at least discount to productized services versus um, service, traditional like service-based revenue. And probably, I think you could go for one time. For one time, because a friend of mine is like in the process of buying a business and just like found out that they have like lots of uh, lifetime deals that they're selling. And you know, this is like just definitely not SaaS business. So like we had this discussion last week on like, how do you evaluate this? You know, what's, what's yeah, it's a significant discount. I mean, at that level, it's almost like e-commerce in the way that I'd start thinking about it. But it's certainly, I value one time at 40 to 50% discounts to service revenues. But you have to, it, it's nuanced because you have to look at you have to look at what's happening to the customer as you're doing that. Like what kind of one-time revenue is it? For example, if it's onboarding, if it's an onboarding fee, for example, is charging that fee value accretive in some other way to the business like are they tying people in in a very like compelling hub, like way like hubspot where they sell this education thing which you have to go through right to kind of exactly. make it more sticky yeah, exactly and so then it becomes very smart rather than kind of a blind you see you see in less in like enterprise where they're just charging like 50 grand sort of onboarding cons- consulting fees or whatever it's a bit of a racket but these things happen so the mix, revenue mix is really important because you can see very clearly as your friend did quite quickly if 30% of the business isn't properly service revenue, isn't properly sort of uh, license fee revenue or MRR, then it's going to decrease the group revenue quite a bit. And so that really needs to be um, pried into. I'd say in general, most people would say that if you have less than 85%, 80% probably of in true MRR, then you're not considered a true SaaS business. So that's important to think about. And then the last thing, just while we're rounding out these bigger factors, because obviously there's a lot of complexity here, but just doing the bigger ones. Um, The last one's EBITDA margin in the business. So as we move into this kind of refined, larger scale landscape, the expectation is that it's perfectly permissible for SaaS businesses to run SaaS owners to run their businesses down to very little profit margin, you know, like zero to 5% EBITDA margins on the expectation that doing so growth, growth, is growth, leading growth, to growth, 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 yeah. growth, growth, exactly. Now, if you can win both of those games, i.e. grow and stay higher than average margin, and I would say on, on average, 
like a five to six percent EBITDA margin is kind of typical for a small but fast growing SaaS business. If you can maintain margins higher than that, then you will immediately be receiving quite a significant valuation premium because that's essentially free cash flow that can be used by the buyer to finance whatever additional growth. And so if you're in a situation where you're growing, say, 50 or 60% year over year on revenue and, and still maintaining 10 to 15% EBITDA margins, you're very in a very, very premium situation. And there's a term that we use in SaaS land and SaaS valuation land called efficiency score. And that's basically your EBITDA margin percentage plus your year-over-year revenue growth rate. So, and, and there's an idea in SaaS land called the rule of 40, which is that if your annual revenue growth rate plus your EBITDA margin equals 40%, then you're about average. And if it's higher, then you're at a premium. So the way to think about that, and you'll see this borne out if you go look at like the Bessemer Venture data, is that on average, like if you look at public companies, the average growth rate is around about 35% year over year for just a typical SaaS business at scale at the moment. And the average EBITDA margin is about 5 or 6%, which will place you at that 40 number, rule of 40. And if you plot, again, all of these businesses on a matrix of efficiency score versus growth multiple, you'll see a very tight correlation around this point. So what this means, because this is important, is that if you are quite unprofitable, let's say you actually have five, negative five or negative 10% EBITDA margin, but you're growing a 60%, 70% year over year, to a certain level, obviously it needs to be weighed against your churn and so on and so forth, but you see how it's working now. And then conversely, if you're incredibly profitable and growing incredibly fast, you're in unicorn territory. So those, I would say, are the big, big, big things to think about. And I think they're the things that a lot of entrepreneurs think about anyway, really. You know, core cash flow, core revenue growth, what's going on with my churn, customer metrics. You know, if, if you're the CEO, COO looking at your dashboard every day, those are the important things a lot. And so, of course it is, because, I mean, this brings us to a, a nice, like, point, which is that the buyer for your business is generally speaking, very similar to you in terms of mindset and operations. And you probably found this when you sold Max CDN in terms of they have built their own SaaS businesses. They understand, you know, scaling them. They understand the considerations and the importance. And so they're buying a business based off the same experience and fundamentals of what works. And so every way in which you think is sensible to think about your SaaS business from a like logical way, if you were buying somebody else's, is the way in which other people are going to appraise yours. So it's quite commonsensical, really. To round this out, uh, so what are a few tips or like pitfalls that you would warn SaaS founders? What I see a lot of is people falling into kind of like slightly no man's land, where, for example, if they started off in the smaller end and they're running for profitability, their growth starts to slow, but they're holding on to profits. And I think there's the decision where you either sell at an earnings-based multiple and let it go and hand it off to someone else, or you need to double down and make the decision to make big investment and get that refinement going, get the engine going. So that's valuation purgatory number one. It's like the big decision. And there's a lot of entrepreneurs that don't want to run 20 plus company employee sort of type situations, and that's fine. So it's just important to get clarity on that. And then the second thing is often I see just, you know, a year or two after that is people put the 
pedal down, they spend a lot and then the growth isn't working out uh, for whatever reason. Either they just have run out on that particular model and they need to pivot, they really need to think. And so oftentimes you can get to a situation where there's a bit of an entrepreneurial burnout and the business is run down in terms of profitability now, but the growth's also not there. And so now they're kind of like, like a walking dead territory. And that it's very good analogy because the term for those businesses is zombie SaaS. It is the walking dead, basically. And you get crushed again on value if you try and exit at that landscape. And so your two choices are we either try and run it back for cash again and just sell it off as like, Typically, you will get like a very low revenue multiple at that point. Um, you don't have to necessarily go back to earnings if you're at scale. Or you just have to pivot and you have to hustle and you have to maybe take angel money, but you just have to figure it out and get the engine working. And so it's really just making sure that it's why it's useful to know these kind of valuation methods, because you can really then start to think about there are going to be two natural flaws that happen. And then the last piece, I think, is this framework is useful for them thinking about when to come to market because the right time to come to market i would argue is probably 70 percent into a growth spurt so you've already delivered on really good growth and you've already got probably 18 to 24 months of like strong momentum that you've deliberately planned for and instructed that's going to allow you to ride that wave be able to forecast that growth to buyers and deliver upon it during the kind of marketing selling listing process without slowdown which can take some time yeah which can take and some time and also will take a lot of your your attention uh, away from the business exactly so, yeah, right 100 yeah and so having that kind of in the bag as much as you can you know say that but fit to feel at least feel that so that you're like okay you know i can focus on answering all of this due diligence, doing all of this kind of stuff and know that the business isn't going to let up. That's really important. Timing is so, so, so important when it comes to business exit. And so if you know how the valuation game works, then you know how to time the life cycle of the business and the momentum to optimize for it. Very cool. This was really useful. I wish I would have talked to you a few years before we sold. This would have made things a little easier and I would have less gray hair in my beard here, but it worked out anyway. Any other resources? You, I mean, you already mentioned a lot of resources in SaaS Calculator, and we're going to link them out. And anyone that you um, didn't mention yet that you want to mention for, for the audience? Yeah, so we're publishing something, or I've written quite a comprehensive guide that's coming up. It should be out by the time um, this podcast this hits. Okay, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll Almost it. certainly will be. And it's a big one. It's kind of like a 15,000 word magnum opus, and it covers both on the smaller end. So if you're looking at kind of earnings based exits and also on the bigger end, so discussing a lot of the stuff we've just spoken about. And so, and then it goes into what are the really big levers that you can pull in terms of increasing value in your business and kind of like what the type of buying landscape is out there who buys what kind of deals and offer structures they have so it's pretty comprehensive so you'll find that on the blog which we can link up acquire light brokerage and to wrap it up i'd love if you share what you do as your your side or passion business because <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. very closely aligned with with what i'm doing so you know yeah yeah can, can plug this here yeah, I have like a Jekyll and Hyde career in a way that's uh, outside of this. I've become super passionate. E e e evil finance. And then, you know, <laughs> in the field of self-discovery, because I started life in banking and I had a really significant burnout in my 20s, which really, for me, precipitated like a big inquiry into like, 
how important it is to find purpose and meaning in your life and balance and so forth. And so I got hugely deep into meditation and yoga and then deep into like psychedelics and plant medicine and um, shamanic stuff and occult stuff. And so I created this platform called Inner Truth, which is a place where, you know, it's a podcast. I interview a lot of famous and well-known psychologists and authors and neuroscientists and spiritual people as well. And then we have a course that's sort of centered around archetypal psychology. So if you're familiar with like Carl Jung's work, who's a very famous, very prominent psychologist in the, in the 20th century, and Joseph Campbell, who wrote The Hero's Journey, we have, yeah, a course that's kind of anchored around that and goes into kind of the occult and uh, the mysticism space um, and kind of helps you essentially figure out your destined potential so it's a uh it's a rabbit hole for sure but people who go down it find it pretty uh pretty amazing so you can check it out at, um in a truth.org awesome in a truth.org and the course is seeking destiny Se- seeking destiny.com yeah very cool david it was a real pleasure having you on the call people can contact you through the website i assume and also what's the best way of yeah just you? emails great david at quietlightbrokerage.com David, thank you very much. Thank you. Rock and roll. Is your sales team spending too much time researching leads and accounts? We take over all the labor-intensive sales development tasks so your team can focus on building relationships and closing more deals. We don't just build lists. We take a strategic research-based approach to find your team qualified leads every day. Ready to start? Schedule your free consultation at taskdrive.com. That's T-A-S-K-D-R-I-V-E dot com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.